pressing record podcast. Okay, so cultural fantasy for beginners. My name is Jared DeGru. My pronouns are she, her, they, them. I'm from New Orleans, Louisiana, specifically the Seventh Ward. Um, and I take a lot, a lot, a lot of pride in who I am and where I come from and just my overall cultural reality. So as I was coming up, I realized like, you know, as I got older and started looking back on books that I've read and movies that I've watched and shows that I've watched is that I have, I don't feel like I've ever been properly represented in anything. I don't feel like my community as a whole has ever been properly represented for our nuances, for our diversity, for our complexities and spirituality and physicality. Like, I, I, don't, I don't feel it. So, cultural writing is something that's very special to me. It's something that has been a focus throughout my academic career. But it's something that I've kind of had to teach myself. Because it's not really in academia to the extent of what I've experienced anyway. It's not It's not in that realm, which is crazy because in New Orleans, this is such a cultural place. So for me to go to a school that I haven't felt like that cultural emphasis has been made. So anyway, what is cultural fantasy specifically? So you have the broad genre of fantasy. You know, you have like Lord of the Rings, um, Fifth Element, um, Game of Thrones, all those kind of shows, you know, the dragons, the elves, the dwarves, the whole worlds that are not our own. And, you know, it's usually magic involved. It's usually heavy. It's either science, science fiction or magic or both combined together. And... Even though I love all of those things I listed, you know, I love Game of Thrones. I love um, different futuristic things. I love Marvel movies and I love, I love them. However, I have always felt like they were missing some very, very key components as far as when they try to dive into representing others or there's no representation at all. We have more people coming, admit. Hey, cat. So, um, so cultural fantasy specifically is you take something like Lord of the Rings, you consider that. And of course, that would technically be considered cultural because everything is rooted in some kind of culture. But when I say cultural fantasy, I'm specifically talking about themes and mythologies and, um, Aesthetics, which are very non-Western, which are leaving behind as much as we can Western forms of communication, Western forms of storytelling, um, those sort of fantastical elements that are very rooted in either Nordic mythology or Greek mythology. Um, and stepping into more so things that are, might be rooted in Yoruba mythology with the Orishas and Native American mythologies and Southeast Asian mythologies, which are very complex. They have all their own pantheons. They have all their own aesthetics. And usually those mythologies go hand in hand with the current cultures of those people. So let's go forward.
and excuse me for any time that I might stutter <laughs> or or get a little tongue tied. So this is going to be the basic organization of the PowerPoint. And by the way, before I start, this um, podcast is sponsored by Poets and Writers Incorporated. And they basically reached out to a few people to have these grants put out so that black, indigenous, and people of color writers could present projects like these. So who are you culturally brainstorming, character design and world building, finding inspiration, exploring non-Western sources, and then moving on to schedules and consistency and discipline and patience and inclusivity, um, inclusivity versus diversity, self-esteem and completion, completion of works. So part of this, the goal of my overall goal in general is to help people start, sustain, and maintain cultural projects. And it doesn't even have to necessarily be fantasy. Fantasy is just my ex- my area of expertise and what I prefer to dive into. But overall, I just want to help people to get to those places of, yes, you can write this. Yes, you can finish this. It's not as daunting as you might make it out to be. Anytime I pause, I'm probably just admitting somebody. Um, you know, it's not as it's not as hard as people make it out to be. It is time consuming. It takes discipline and it takes a lot of energy and intention. But as far as what goes into it, I I believe that anybody can write. Anybody can write a story. Anybody can, um, you know, put something out that is meaningful and impactful. Because odds are, if you come from a heavily cultural background people want to hear about it people want to hear about the things you know they want to hear about the dynamics of your family and your culture and your neighborhood um i know for me i am very tired of turning things on and kind of seeing the same stuff over and over again seeing those same kind of um narratives and aesthetics and designs and just everything and it's like this getting old we got a big old world we have a huge humongous planet and we have all of these cultures that you know so many people don't even know exist and we'll get into that you know as we go so The first step, I believe, in writing cultural fantasy is really a step that kind of happens over the course of your life. And for black people, people of color, indigenous people, it's something that really happens for us once we get a little older a lot of the time. Because um, being in grade school, being molded by certain societal things... Just that kind of basic survival thing that we have had to do for so long creates that air of we move in a kind of assimilated way in a lot of ways, whether we want to be or not. And it takes for you to get older and for you to kind of be on your own and be a little free and start to come up with your own opinions, you know, your own interests, your own everything to start finding yourself. Because essentially for people like us who are, we, a lot of our 
itself is very lost. So it's a literal matter of finding ourselves. It's not like, oh, this is this is my personality and this this is who I want to be. Like, no, it's literally who are my ancestors? Who what land do I come from? Is the land I'm living on my land? You know, is it is if I've been here, am I new here? Um what what music, you know, brings something out of my spirit? What visual things trigger certain things in my brain that say I'm connected to that? Um, what makes me feel whole? What makes me feel whole outside of just everything that's modern? You know, what parts of me are ancient and consistent across time as opposed to just parts of me that are moving with trends and cultural norms and et cetera, et cetera? Like, what's the parts of me that is eternal that's cosmic so the first step in writing cultural fantasy you have to become familiar with your own cultural dimension you have to be because so often we have these instances of people writing things that don't have anything to do with them and it's not that's not necessarily always bad however if you don't know who you are and then you try to write about other people's cultures that's when you start to get that energy of like appropriation and um, just can't think of a word right now. But appropriation in the sense of I'm going to go learn or learn about your stuff from a book. Even though y'all learn things through living these cultures, these experiences. And I'm going to go and write about it. Whereas probably what you should have did was go and help somebody who is in that write their story or go to them directly and have them help you. But like I said, it comes back to you got to know who you are. So for me, coming to understand my cultural dimension was coming to understand things about Africa and Turtle Island. So Turtle Island is the true name of North America for many of the indigenous tribes across the continent. So I don't refer to it as North America. I say Turtle Island. So if you hear me say that, that's what I'm talking about. We are not a monolith as we have been presented and as we have been made to feel about ourselves. Um, African Americans, people who are descended from enslaved people from Africa, we come from so many different ethnic groups. We come from all over the continent. And it's the same for people of indigenous descent and those people like me and my family who are of the mixed ancestry of indigenous and African descent. So you have all of these different peoples, all of these different cultures, these different rhythms, these different mythologies, these different histories, these different ways of existing, these different forms all within single bodies. Essentially, that's what you get with like the African-American experience. So, when it comes to being an African-American writer, an indigenous writer, it's like, before you step out to try to look at other people's stuff, you have to step back and consider, what am I working with? Because odds are, it's probably a whole lot. You're probably working with a whole lot of good, 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 good stuff. But you have to do the work of figuring out what's in me, what's around me. What around me is like, you know, I'm thinking that this is just a part of everyday life, but it's really, it's really something that my people been doing. It's something that my people been telling stories this way. These aesthetics are aesthetics that crossed the ocean and came over here. 
there is much of the world to be explored in writing. You know, and that's what I have here. If you don't know how to write about the dimension you already exist in, you may find it difficult to effectively approach and execute the complex art of writing cultural fantasy. Because it is so much that goes into writing fantasy in general. But when you step into writing cultural fantasy, you're essentially moving through something that you don't, you might not have that much basis from. You know, it's, it's, it's not super difficult to say, okay, I'm going to write this story about elves and dwarves and dragons. Because that's been the norm in our cultural, I mean, in our fantasy consumption for a very long time, many, many decades, you know, since I'm sure before Tolkien, but you know, Tolkien really made it really, really popular. But there is a there's a defined blueprint for all of that. Whereas cultural fantasy, we are starting to step into it. It's it's becoming. It's not quite there, but it's becoming something that is like, oh, I'm starting to see things. I'm starting to see things that don't center around a Eurocentric Western experience. I'm starting to see representation of mythologies that I've never heard of, you know, that have always been here, that are ex- that are old, that are ancient, you know, but I've, we have never been exposed. So that's definitely a good thing. So I'm going to go to the next slide. And it's okay if I miss a few things because when the presentation is over and we start to have questions, you can kind of pick up on anything you might have missed. So ancestry and history are extremely important when addressing what is your cultural dimension and how are you going to write about it? What are you going to write about? What do you want to write about? Because everything you find doesn't necessarily mean you have to write about that. It just, it helps to know a lot of stuff so that you don't have to necessarily go everywhere else. You can just sit down and say, I'm going to channel everything that's in me, that's around me, that's been passed down. So here you have um, a piece of original art. So throughout this Throughout this presentation, I have a few pictures that are my original art. And this is a drawing of an ancestral intuition, which came to me, of a Chittimacha chief. The Chittimacha are the indigenous group of New Orleans, which I refer to as Bobancha, because that is the true name of the land. That is the land that our ancestors called it. And... um. Sometimes, you know, it comes to me and spirit tells me, draw this, sit down and draw this as a ritual. And I'll draw something like this. And then months later, I'll come into, oh, wow, this is a character for what I'm writing. This is this is a real person, you know, but through being a real person and through being an ancestor and bringing this energy to me, they've kind of transpired their story over time to me and they kind of give it to me and give it to me and give it to me so this person who i drew months ago has become essentially part of my series in a way or a form of him you know he might not look exactly like this when i go to draw him again and everything but the past exists around us not behind us So when it comes to our experiences and who we are, you can't know who you are unless you know who you've been, where you've been, um, what has happened, as much as you can at least. Because our people have been very removed from knowing 
However, it's still a lot of ways that you can find out. You might not be able to find things in detail, but you can through certain practices, through certain research and intention, you could come to a place where you know enough of who you are and enough of what has happened to your ancestors, good and bad. You know, it's not just things like, oh, I know my ancestors dealt with all this bad stuff. Our ancestors were our ancestors way before they ever got on a slave ship, way before they ever got colonized, way before they ever had to deal with genocide. They had eons of history. They had thousands of years of stories, monarchs, wars, um mythologies that we'll probably never even know about so the past is a lot and it's integral to our understandings of our realities you can't separate it look at the general american experience and how much it still revolves around things such as the revolutionary war or just our war all the wars in general you know the events of the last century how so much of what we do depends on these things so you could just imagine for us being you know from things that are older than america older than western civilization etc cetera, etc cetera. it's so much has happened to so coming to an understanding of one's own ancestral and historical reality is crucial when you start to dive into cultural fantasy um for me, it has been an experience of when I write, I try to I try to not do what's been done as best I can. And if I see, you know, you can't catch everything. You can't just like decolonize your brain to write in a non-Western way when you're living in a non-Western world and dimension. I mean, when you're living in a Western conditioned world and dimension. Um, but I do my best to kind of break from that. And not just in the subject matter, but in the way I present that subject matter. The way my characters speak to each other. The way uh, they... The way their stories unfold. Everybody good? Okay. So then once you move on from the historical and ancestral reality you step into okay what is my cultural what is my cultural i mean what is my present cultural reality because i saw there's a lot there too you know not everything we are is in our past there are a lot of things that we exude right now some things that are old some things that are new and unique to us in our generations but are still very inherently cultural, are still very inherently unique and separate from that monolith perception. I could tell you being from New Orleans, different, like as small as the city is, different parts of the city, different neighborhoods have different cultural dynamics, have, you know, every family in a sense has different cultural dynamics, has different practices that align, but they differ, you know, things, things, because we come from so much different stuff. We come from so many different ancestors within one place that it'd be impossible for everybody to just be on the same thing. We are different. We connected, but we different, and that's good. Diversity is great when it comes to looking at yourself and looking at your people, because if you just look at your people in a sense of, okay, everybody is just what we are. 
you know, we just we're just African American, and and that's our placement. And so you 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 once you debunk, okay, what is the African American, and you just look at it from that standpoint. Essentially, you kind of limit yourself. But if you start to look at yourself in the sense of my family is of descent from Congo, Dahomey, Yoruba, Benin, Chittimacha, Choctaw, Southern Cheyenne. It changes, it changes the dynamic in how you look at the world you in right now in the sense of how you move and you'll see certain things and be like, I move different than this person moves. We move different than how they move. And so when it comes to writing, you're essentially looking at all of these things and incorporating it. Somebody who does a great job at incorporating the cultural present and mixing it with the past is Toni Morrison. We was talking about her a little bit earlier. Toni Morrison is a master weaver of past, present, and future. So you got to look at what elements of your own life, community, ethnicity, spirituality, dress, customs, food, music, and identity folklore and mythologies can be incorporated into your potential project because thing about cultural fantasy is you're essentially creating a whole world you're not just saying oh i'm gonna sit down and i'm gonna write a story about characters a lot of the times fantasy involves places that are not earth and when you go into creating a whole new world you have to consider so much you have to consider everything and that's why keep coming back to look at yourself look at yourself look at your family look at your friends because Azar does a lot there for you so that's why I said when it comes to what elements of blah 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 if you can't answer this off the bat that's okay because it take a lot of time a lot of time essentially lifetimes depending on you know the dynamics of who you are and what you were raised in and everything like that to analyze and learn and know how to discern what it, what you are, what's around you, what's at your disposal. And the first, I said, the first step is as important as the rest to follow. So you got to start somewhere. You have to start somewhere and you can't be afraid to start because it might look daunting, it might look challenging, it might look like oh man it's gonna take forever to do how am i ever gonna get to a place where i know all of this stuff to make this huge project and make something that i would want to see but you can do it you know you can do you can do anything so brainstorming the next step in writing really anything is brainstorming Um, but when it comes to cultural fantasy fantasy is a very it might be on paper and you reading it, but the experience and the stimulation is very audiovisual. You know, people want to know what these characters look like, what these places look like, what things sound like, what um You know, they want to see maps. They want to know names. They want to have they want to be aware like they want you want it to feel real. You don't want it to feel like just, oh, I just made this up, and here it is. So, first rule of brainstorming is that there are no rules. There are no rules for brainstorming, and there's multiple ways to brainstorm. Brainstorming can occur, can occur on paper, 
Some people like to do the little bubbles and then they draw the lines. Other people like to do bullet points. Some people just like to do free write, you know, like like prose writing, just write down what you think, stream of consciousness. Um, other ways can be, you can draw. If you know how to draw, sometimes brainstorming happens through drawing. That's how it happens for me sometimes. Sometimes I'll write something and then I'll come into, okay, this is supposed to be a character. Sometimes I'll draw something, not realizing that it's supposed to be something that I use. I just draw it regular and then later on be like, oh, this is a character. This is this is somebody, this is somebody who has a story. Sometimes you can speak it. Like I have the Anchor app, which is a podcast app. And what Anchor app allows you to do is the stuff you don't post, you can still save it. So a lot of times if I'm out and I don't have my notebook, I don't have my journal, what I will do is speak into the Anchor app and speak my thoughts, speak what is coming to me and what I want to say for later when I know it's important because them them inspirations <laughs> come out of nowhere. Like you can see anything and boom, you have stuff to work with. Um, vision boards are very good, especially for people who might not know how to draw. Vision boards are extremely helpful and they are very stimulating for your eye and you know, you can you can make them and you can follow them. You can know you can make a vision board on an actual board. A vision board can be on in a notebook, like a scrapbook. You can make vision boards on certain apps like Pinterest. Um, Pinterest is really good for basically vision boards. You know, you just you could have you have different boards on Pinterest that you can put different stuff in. Um, I like Tumblr too, even though it's not really too it's not really so organized this Pinterest but you can find a lot of gems on Tumblr and save it in your likes or your repost or whatever when it comes to brainstorming your limit is your own mind especially with fantasy because with fantasy everything like there like I said there's no rules nobody can tell you oh that's you can't do that you can't write this you can't name this person this they can't fly they can't you know this is my stuff i can make whatever happen that i want to happen um so through brainstorming you should eventually come to a place of determining a general understanding of what you intend to create so brainstorming is not the time where you figure out every little detail at once you know, you brainstorm over time. Like, even I'm working on a project right now, and I still find myself brainstorming things for what I'm writing in the moment. You know, sometimes I'll be typing a chapter, and I'll think of something, and I'll have to go sit down and map something out and then go back and correct it. Like, okay, the thought this was going this way, but it's really going this way. So, yeah. So then you step into world building. World building is a very fun and stimulating experience because a lot of times you have to do world building before you actually start writing or creating certain things. And of course, like I said, there's no rules. This is just how I do it. Some people might start off in another way and then world build later. It's all depend on how it works for you and your brain and how your brain works. But for me, world building is something that I tend to try to do beforehand. 
Um, because I'm right, I'm working on a series, and I've been working on this series for many, many years. I did the work of world building quite a long time ago, um, but it still took it took some years to world build. Um, I have maps. I have um, like maps with capitals and mountain ranges and forests and rivers. So I have world building in the sense of the geography. And then I have, then you have world building in a sense of what are the cultures which exist within this world? What are the types of societies? What are the types of governments going on? What are the ethnic groups? What do the people look like? What do they sound like? Um, what does the land look like? You know, outside of just a map of like a location here, a location there, you have to come up with what do these lands look like? And I try to make it align in a sense with, like, re- kind of realistically in the sense of, okay, if I have a place that's here and it's like a rainforest, then I'm not going to have, like, the neighboring kingdom be subarctic temperatures or something. You know, like, I try to keep a flow with it as in places in a certain region will be similar in temperature or landscape and it'll start to shift and you know like the far the further north you are the more mountains and the more snow you have and so the cultures that you create reflect that so if you have a northern culture then you looking at northern cultures in the real world world and you're referencing that if you have places that are southern and like kind of alluding equatorial places, rainforest and heat and dry places. Then you look at cultures which reflect that. Like I say, you don't have to, but that's what happens. So before you come up with a story, it can help to establish the world you want it wanted to exist in. So that's something else too. You have to figure out what kind of world do you want it to be. You want it to be post-apocalyptic. Excuse me. You want it to be a very, like, sort of natural, primal world. Um, in the sense of, like, it's not too much civilization. It's like forests and just wilderness landscapes. You want it to be futuristic. Like how it is on Fifth Element and Star Wars and Star Trek. Uh, do you want it to be... Um, you know, some people like that steampunk kind of kind of aesthetic. Other people want to write things that is that are is historical fantasy in the sense of it might be alluding to Victorian era fashion and architecture, etc., etc., etc. So whether your project takes place on Earth, an imagined world, outer space, or Atlantis, you'll need to address conceptual elements, which we just you know, went through. And, of course, there's so much more than what I listed. Like, you you got to consider animals. What type of animals live places? You got to consider um, the food they eat, the languages they speak, the ways they communicate with each other in the sense of I'm, the, the work that I work, the work that I'm doing is very much referencing the American South, New Orleans, Africa, the Caribbean, Turtle Island as a whole. So certain ways that the characters are involved or the lives that they lead, 
the struggles that they go through are referencing real life issues, but it's very coded. Like it's never just like, oh, this is a reference to this. It's coded in the sense of I take nuances from everything. I take bits and pieces from our lives and our experiences and our triumphs and our tribulations. Social realities and much more um, go into it. As the title of this slide suggests, an entire world must be formulated within the writer's mind if our default planet does not suit our project. So world building continued. My, like I said, my projects, the most foundational sources of reference for my world building and my current work are the geographical and historical realities of Africa and Turtle Island. So I'm super, super big on pre-colonial realities. Um, Just because... I not to say that people shouldn't write about it, but for me and what stimulates me, I'm tired of seeing things that present us like we're it's almost like we're new to this world, um, that we didn't have nothing, that we were nothing until people made us something, and it's like no, we existed for so long before, and there's so many things to pull from. Here I have a map of pre-colonial Africa and I have some of the kingdoms and regions listed as they were before colonization and then I have a picture of a bayou in Louisiana just because that is an ecosystem that has always resonated with me as it is somewhere where my ancestors have lived for a long time and I find that I understand these things more naturally than I would something that I was looking at outside. So, mythologies. When it comes to fantasy, fantasy draws heavily on mythology. It's influenced by a foundation of mythology and folklore. However, what I've seen is what's prioritized in much of our fantasy media are narratives heavily influenced by the mythologies of the West, Greco-Roman, Norse, Celtic, etc. And, of course, you can indulge in these um, these cultural aesthetics, these mythologies, these stories. However, my thing is don't limit yourself. You know, use it. Use everything at your disposal. But don't limit yourself to just these things. And I say that because I don't think people do it on purpose. I don't think people purposefully limit themselves to the box of Western influence. But I feel like it comes from a place that they don't, people don't know any better. Or they have just kind of been conditioned to move in that way. To, they don't even consider, oh, I could be doing something different. I could be tapping into something else. I could make this, you know, like I could write a fantasy book that's all indigenous people from Turtle Island. Or I could write a fantasy book that's people from Southeast Asia or Japan or South America or the Pacific Islands. So much. And I know that people definitely are writing these things. Like that people, there are writers in a lot of places who are doing that work, but it's definitely not um, pushed to the forefront in the media that we consume that's mainstream. Not yet anyway. 
So feel free to indulge in the Western mythological references. But take the time to do the research on mythologies of your ancestors and the mythologies of people around the globe. Not just for your for writing's sake, but I mean learning people's mythologies will help you immensely in under in learning people's culture. It's a very good incentive to get you to learn about the world, which is something Americans need to do in general because we definitely live in this culture of centralizing our American experience and perspectives and narratives. And it's just like the world is bigger than y'all and it's kinda lazy and a little insensitive. To just not know nothing about nothing. Because, like, just look at the map. Look at look at this graphic. Like, all of these things that I know, me personally, like, even the things I know, I'm looking at a lot of these things. Like, I've never heard of most of these names and these legends and these stories. And I think that's, that's kind of like a, it's sad. And we got to do better. So, when referencing cultures outside your own, it is important to remember sensitivity and find a balance between reference and appropriation. Because when you reference different cultures, like, it's certain things you can do and certain things you shouldn't. Because I know when it comes to our cultures and my ancestral backgrounds and aesthetics. I don't want people doing certain stuff, you know? Like, I don't want, if you're not from the city and you're not from the culture and you're not from that understanding, like, don't be incorporating no Mardi Gras Indians or something, you know, into what you're doing because you have no idea what you're writing about. Um, And maybe if you do do the work of really researching, researching it and properly getting you know, properly doing it, then that's different. But just for the sake of, like, exploitation, uh, it's definitely a thin line you have to maneuver. And even as far as being black people and people of color, if it's not of your own culture, you still have to keep that sensitivity and you have to be aware when you start to dive into, I'm going to incorporate this, I'm going to incorporate this. Because you might... You might put something in your story that you don't all the way understand because you're not in it. Because as we know, Google tells you a lot, but there's a lot that you can't find on Google. You know, you can find a fact on Google, but you might not be able to see the context of that fact unless you're in a culture, unless you're in a group. And learning those things from elders, from people who are in it. Because one thing I will address when it comes to mythology we live in a world where it is a notion of it's a mythology so it's not real but it's up to the people who these stories belong to to decide whether this is real or not whether this is truth or fiction it's not for outside people to say oh this isn't real just because you can't prove it to me people don't owe it. people do not owe people outside of their experiences explanations for what makes sense to them, what has been proven to them, what works for them. So when you talk about mythologies and you start referencing things, and you're like, oh, it's just a myth. It's just fiction. It's just, for those people, it might not be fiction. You might be disrespecting their ancestors. You might be disrespecting the foundations of their cultures, their origins. So definitely watch that. So I have to move this thing so I can see. 
drawing directly from my ancestral mythologies and what it looks like, just as an example of what I was just talking about, is I resonate heavily with the figures and spiritual concepts of the Yoruba people from Western Africa and their Orisha pantheon. So the Orisha are a group of... Some people call them gods. They're not gods. They are ascended spirits. Some of the Orishas were actual people before they ascended and became what we know as Orishas. And it's important when talking about them, there's a reason why we say Orisha. It's Orisha. It's not a god. God is not a Yoruba word, so you can't apply that to them. But I draw heavily from them and I resonate heavily with Yamaya who is the Orisha of water and oceans motherhood um, and a big grand other things um, and I have a lot of reasons to say I resonate with Yamaya it's not just because I think she's pretty it's not just because I find her interesting it's actual context in my life that I can match and align with with these realities, which for me is a reality. She's not just a mythology for me. She's like a guardian spirit. You know, you people, how Catholics have saints and how other people have the concept of angels. For me, that's what Yamaya is for me. She's one of my, not just my angels, but the angels of my ethnic group. A patron, I should say. So when I write, Sometimes characters that I'll make will reference her in terms of the way they look, the a weapon they'll carry, a power they will have. And never do I go into my writing and say, okay, I'm going to name this character Yamaya. It's never like that. I prefer to do things in a more nuanced way, in a way that is like, I know what's going on. And it's like, if you're an intensive reader, you might be able to catch it too. But I can't just tell you. But there are these layers throughout what I write that are drawing from ancestral mythologies, ancestral realities, etc. Um, and I feel like because I'm drawing on things that actually have to do with me, that actually have to do with my bloodlines and my ancestry, that it's not so complicated for me to do it you know it, it's not hard for me to do it because it's from a very natural place I'm just writing from what I'm seeing what I'm experiencing what's around me I'm drawing from my own resources Oops, sorry okay so character design when it comes to fantasy writing Character design is really, really important just because people, it's almost like when you watch Marvel movies or you watch Lord of the Rings, you watch that for a, in a lot of senses for the visual stimulation. You like to see the costumes. You like to see, um, you know, you like to see the things that was in the comic, comics, etc., etc. But when it comes to cultural fantasy, part of the main motivations is representation. Representation for yourself and representation of your community or your culture that you are trying to showcase and help. So, like things like skin color are really important. 
for people of the black diaspora, African diaspora, indigenous diaspora. Because our skin color is something we take pride in. But our skin color is also something that has contributed to our oppression and to our suffering as much as our triumph. So it's something that is important to include and to not just say, but provide, if you can, a visuals. That's why I feel very blessed to be able to draw every character that I make. So here I have a drawing of Bastet, the Egyptian goddess of cats and protection. Just as an example, um, and as y'all can see, I mean her brown, visibly brown-skinned, just because um, I don't don't know what it is. I, I guess it's a thing of there's more money in doing certain things a certain type of way. You know, if you have a cast full of people and you cater to that mainstream media notion of brighter is better, you know, then you, you make more money and you get more access. But I'm not moving in that regard. For me, it's not about the money. It's about the authenticity of my work, the authentic- the authenticity of my projects and what I'm putting out. And I would much rather, not to say I want to be broke, <laughs> but I would much rather create profound work that is of me that is of my core and that is moving from a place of pure intention in the sense of I'm trying to help my people and I'm trying to help myself I'm trying to help us fight things like colorism fight things like assimilation um you have people around the world who are still bleaching their skin like so it's it's not like it's just a oh this is something people kind of go through like no it's very real it's very prolific And with things like this, media is so intrinsic to our understanding of ourselves. So if you have children who are brown-skinned or interacting with other brown-skinned people, and they they in a society or a dimension in a world where they're being told or led down a path of not liking what they look like, when they see themselves on the TV in a book, um, in a, on TV or in a book, and they, they see themselves in a way that's positive. That's not just positive, but it's also powerful, like a powerful manifestation of themselves. That can do so much for spirit. And I speak from experience. Seeing, seeing things that were kind of like me in certain things helped me in understanding myself. A perfect example is this show called She's Gotta Have It. She's Gotta Have It, I feel like, has great representation for the authentic black experience. So, yeah. So, getting back to the point. Character design. Once you've done the work of world building, you'll begin to formulate your characters and come up with what they look like. So... A lot of people don't know how to draw. I understand that. Like, a lot of... uh, uh, Very few writers are... I won't say very few, but not everybody has the capacity to write something and draw their characters. So, how you get around that is make vision boards. Excuse me. Look up different things and print different stuff out. Like I was saying earlier, you can go on Pinterest. You can go on Tumblr. Find the visuals that you want to communicate and get very, very good at describing them. 
you know, become very, very proficient at describing what you're looking at. So when it's time to describe your characters, which are meant to exude a cultural appearance, then you'll know how to do it. You'll be good. And then over time, you know, maybe you'll get lucky and have somebody come around and they can draw the stuff for you. Tumblr and Pinterest are your best friends, as I've been saying. So, yeah. That's character design. Sources of inspiration. So, you can get inspiration for cultural fantasy from everything. Things that don't have nothing to do with fantasy and things that are directly connected to it. You can get... You could, I, I'm, I could look at a piece of grass right now and say, hmm, that's a whole world down there. Them little ants, you know, like they go under that grass and you don't know where they go. I could sit and just kind of going into that brainstorming kind of thing of here you have grass here you have ants. Ants have a queen. You could write a story about an ant princess who gets lost in the lawn and the spider and the grasshopper come and help her, blah, 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 blah. You know, like it's. Is boundless. Like I said, your limit is your mind. You could come up with anything. And it'd be pretty interesting. A lot of times when you think and something is like too out the box, that's what would be really interesting and stimulating and different. Um, I used this picture that I drew of Avatar Roku from the show Avatar Last Airbender because that is a show which was intrinsic to my development as a creator. Um, it gave a lot of us people of color some good representation and some you know it kind of introduced me to that aspect of wow we can have things that are very cultural that are very non-western and it be profound it it be successful it um it be something that people want to engage in and be positively impacted by for years to come this show came out in 2005 and people are still you know, referencing it and and came out on Netflix. It, they put it on Netflix like last year, and you would swear like it had just came out the way people flocked to it and ran the numbers up. So um, dive into anything you can. Get your hands, eyes, and ears on films, shows, documentaries, poetry, books, spirituality, nature, culture. Everything can be a source of inspiration for writing cultural fantasy. Okay. Okay. Let me just repeat it. Inclusivity and intentional representation versus quota filling and scapegoating diversity. When character creation, world building, and cultural reference are not executed with care, the results can be harmful to audiences and taint the overall experience of a project. So I've been experiencing this as an audience person, as a as members as a member of many audiences over time, as a consumer of so much fantasy con- fantasy content over time, um, as a queer person, as a person of color, an indigenous person, a black person, there's just not been ample care. Like, yeah, there are some projects that have done a good job, but overall, it's it's a lot of things that shouldn't be acceptable that are. Not only are they acceptable, but it's very mainstream. Um, I've experienced with certain shows where they will they have this thing called queer baiting. And queer baiting is when basically 
a show will know that a very large portion of its audience is on the queer spectrum, the LGBTQ spectrum. And they'll know that a lot of their success has to do with the content that these people put out. And so they'll implant certain ways that the characters interact or speak to each other in a way that leaves like kind of every episode on a cliffhangerish kind of thing or oh like they almost together these people are almost together um we're gonna have some representation and seasons and seasons will go by and then when the last season comes they either have it to where like the two people get together on like the very last moment of the very last episode or they'll have it to where they don't get together at all. They just kind of disregard all of the development for the sake of, we can allude to it, but maybe if we put this on screen, we might get in trouble for it. And so it's just like very irresponsible. When it comes to racial and ethnic representation, there is a lot that I've seen with um, shows that are written by white writers where... You'll have a cast of predominantly white characters, and then you'll have one Asian person thrown in, one um, one Latinx person thrown in, and one black person thrown in. And I'm always thinking in my head, I wish y'all would have just left us out. Like I, I, I feel like your your work would have been more authentic had you not even included us in that in such a lazy. And thoughtless way, especially when it comes to presenting black characters, more specifically black female characters, in the sense of it's there is very much a it's called the paper bag test, <laughs> and the paper bag test is if you take a paper bag, oftentimes you will see that black female characters are no darker than a paper bag, and they always fit that mode of light skin with curly hair or they'll be biracial and it's like not to say that biracial people don't exist however within that same notion it seems to always be biracial as black and white and there's so many more forms of that like people have unions and have babies from so many different cultures and come together um when it comes to other groups of people it's they're very, they might be in it and you might see the physical representation, but oftentimes culturally, there's, there's no real work done to represent them. There's no real work to represent them spiritually. Um, and I just think that's lazy writing. And like I said, I, I, I wish they would just kind of leave us out of it. Leave us out of it, but at the same time, I don't say that in the sense of we shouldn't be in media. It should be, in my opinion, formed in a way of don't try to give us representation through your work that's lazy when you could just kind of make room for people of color who are writing works for people of color. Make room for them to have their media represented, to have their content pushed forward. I think I'm making sense. I hope I'm making sense with that. Um, and so, yeah, so with my work, what I try to do is I try to have things be representative and inclusive. But to an extent, in the sense of if it counters 
the authenticity of my story, I'm not going to go out my way to include everybody just because I have lots of books to write. So essentially, people are going to be represented throughout. But it's like when you try to fit everybody into one project, but you do it just with that intention of, I just want to sell things. I just want to sell books. I just want to get views. I don't, you know, get that. So I'm going to just place these people in a story that I never really intended for them to be in. You know, if you didn't intend for black people to be in your project when you first started writing it, don't, you don't have to do that. Um, at least not, that's my opinion, obviously. Somebody's making them do it if we see it. Um, but I, I always ask yourself, why are you writing what you are writing? You know, what are your motivations? Are you writing for money's sake or are you writing to really create something? And not to say that writing for money is bad. People got to eat. Now, I understand that. However, when it comes to just the grand scheme of things, I feel like that should definitely be respect paid to people who are making art from that core place, from that real place of positive intention, who do the work to not be harmful in the nature, um, who don't contribute to the harmful nature of our current media reality and the sense of indulging in colorism and the sense of how people are casted, indulging in assimilation and whitewashing. Um, so yeah, quota filling. Quota filling is when you just implant people for number's sake. I call it scapegoating diversity. When you have it's like it seems like a diverse cast because of what you see in the background, but it's really not. A lot of narratives are harmful. The trope of the black female best friend who is always just supportive and just always there. Um, yeah, that's a lot. But I use this picture of Storm from X-Men because Storm is a character that I've always resonated with. I think a lot of people of color in general, especially queer people of color, people on the spectrum, we resonate with Storm. Just because, I mean, Storm is beautiful. Storm is extremely powerful. She's a very powerful, a very powerfully noted character in the Marvel Universe. However, I used her picture because the original intentions of writing Storm, to me, are probably like a little questionable. Because the X-Men was supposed to be a reference to um, kind of like marginalized groups in the civil rights movement and everything. And then you have this character who is supposed to be from Kenya, who is supposed to be like a reincarnation of a Kenyan goddess, who is always depicted with straight hair and light skin for the most part, outside of maybe a few comics where they really do her justice and give her brown skin. She is always, always, always depicted in this colorist way, this lazy way, while... A lot of the other X-Men, you know, get their stories kind of prioritized. Even though this is a character who is noted as one of the most powerful in the franchise. But it's almost like rather than taking Storm and doing what they could do with Storm, it's more so like they use Storm. They use Storm for 
to get engagements from the demographic that they know indulges in their work and wants to see themselves. So they manipulate it instead of moving with that positive, powerful intention. So yeah, try not to do that. Writing fantasy is demanding. It's very, very, very demanding. But it is worth your while. I promise it's worth your while. It takes time. Time, time. Like years, potentially. I am fortunate enough to have started on this series when I was a teenager. So lots of the work got done before I graduated high school. And even after I graduated, it was still a lot of work to do, but kind of just that nitty gritty of it kind of got done. But writing fantasy takes time. It's not something that, I mean, maybe if you're writing a novel, I guess you could write a novel in not that much time. But when you are creating a series, it's so much you have to consider in the sense of your first book has to be written with your last book in intention. You know, your your first characters, first actions, first words, first everything have to be aligned with where you want the series to end. You know, so as you you write, you, you do a certain amount of writing on the computer or on paper in the moment, but you are constantly writing essentially years ahead, considering projects and works that you will have to do years into the future. Because of the magnitude of world building, of weaving these characters together, of making sure that as much makes sense as possible. And you're probably going to have a plot hole here and there, but that's okay. So it's demanding in the sense of it takes consistency to create these projects. Like I said earlier, it's not just about coming up with it. It's about starting it, sustaining it, um, and finishing it. You know, you don't, nobody wants to just keep starting things and not finishing it. You want to finish a project. So things that help me, scheduling. Have certain times of the day where you are writing. And it seems daunting. I've been a writer for quite some time and I'm only just now really stepping into waking up in the morning to write every day. Because it takes that kind of discipline. But... Essentially, you can save yourself so much time if you just pull that from in yourself and schedule when you write. Make deadlines for yourself. Um, and they don't necessarily have to be rigorously met. But just, you know, if you if you have a span of time where you know you're going to be able to work, give yourself a date where, okay, by this date, I want to have this project done or a certain amount of this project completed. It takes a lot of planning. I mean, it's like a it's like a job, pretty much. Consistency is very necessary. You gotta be consistent, cause you'll definitely lose your momentum. It takes momentum. It takes it takes a lot to be able to continuously work on something and to stay motivated, to stay passionate, to stay intentional. And consistency is very necessary. Now, don't confuse consistency with like overworking. You know, if, if if you can't sit down and type every day, that's okay. But it's just a matter of consistency in the sense of you're always working with intention toward your projects. And I have a philosophy of, and I'm sure there are people who 
probably can handle more. But I have a philosophy of no more than two projects at a time. Have a project that is dominant and then have a project that is kind of, um, what's the opposite of dominant? Submissive? I don't know if you can apply that to things, but y'all get what I'm saying. Have one that is dominant and have one that you go to when you're not consumed with the other one. And you just kind of work on the other one a little bit. So that by the time you're done with the dominant one, the one you were working on becomes dominant. And then everything else comes submissive. So you got that constant, put this on the shelf, grab this. Put this on the shelf, grab this. And it's a good system for me. So that, like I said, you're not overworked. And then that brings you into discipline and pacing so pacing is so important because as writers we have so much stuff going on in our brain at one time and if you are not careful you will sit and have like 10 potential different books and stories just sitting around you and you're like oh my god I don't know which one to do I don't know which one to write I don't know what to indulge in I just don't know so it's important to have that pacing sense that sense of patience and pacing because the work gonna get done it's gonna get done whether it get done now or later and whatever don't get done like I, I, I and I think we all have this kind of thought of like man what if I start something and like what if something happened like what if I die or something before I finish and it's like a waste of time but you can't control that so Just have that confidence in yourself and your capability that you will finish what you start. And so much of what I have created is like, part of you might want it to be done quick, but work becomes so profound when you are patient, when you let yourself be still and you just think and you meditate, which brings us to realistic expectations. Um, You got to have realistic expectations for yourself. You know, you you might wake up and say, I'm going to write three books before the end of the year. And it's cool if you're able to do that, but you cannot beat yourself up if you don't. Um, Which brings us into self-esteem. Self-esteem is so essential to an enjoyable creative experience, not just with writing fantasy, but with anything. However, when it comes to writing, writing... And more specifically, writing fantasy. It is not a form, an art form, where gratification is guaranteed. Every, whatever I do, I have come to a place where I find that gratification in myself. Because you can't depend, you can't depend on other people to give you that confidence, to give you that assurance in what you are doing and what you're creating. You have to know at your core that you are doing your very best and your best is great. Whether people know it right now, whether people know it when you're dead and gone, whether people know it at a different part of your life. None of that, you, as an artist, you know, true art, you do it for art's sake. So... Um, fantasy as a subset is a realm where gratification is experienced probably way less than many other writing genres because of how much time has to span between time, you know, the periods where we can actually share things, especially if you like me writing a series, it's not just a novel, it's a series. So I have to be very, I have to keep things on the low. And when I start to work on something, it takes time and you have to be okay with that. And 
You know, you might not get people being able to listen to what you write and read what you write and give you feedback. Sometimes you got to do it on your own. You know, you're not going to always have people to tell you, oh, this is so good. I really like this. Doesn't always work like that. Um, And when you are embarking on a journey like this, where you are working with so much, you got to have that confidence and self-esteem in yourself. Um, Like I said earlier, be patient. Write primarily for your own enjoyment. If you're not enjoying it, it defeats the purpose. Um, Write what you would want to read, watch, hear, and experience. Um, Because if if you're writing for everybody else, you're writing for what you think people want to see, it's going to get boring real fast. It's gonna, that stimulation going to die. You're going to start to hate what you're doing. So you got to do it for you. So what has cultural fantasy done for me? Cultural fantasy has encouraged me to survive. For a very long time, I was in just a very dark place. My will to grow up and be <laughs> was not there. So... Writing cultural fantasy helped me to come to that understanding of myself, to manifest that understanding into something, into something physical and tangible that I could share with other people without having to say, this is what I've gone through and this is what happened. And it's more so, I'm giving you the pieces I want to give you, the pieces that are my highest vibration. I tell my family members and my friends, when I make a character that is, in the sense, inspired by them or a character that I made a long time ago that I realized, oh, this is one of your ancestral forms. I tell them when I draw these people, it's almost like I'm giving you a piece of my soul. I'm giving you a, a, my soul's perception of you manifested in an image. So, like, here are a few of my characters. Here is Sonora, Jaco, Delia, and Kifo. Um... I draw all my characters. Uh, it takes work, but it'd be worth it. You know, when you sit down and you're like, wow, look at all of this that I made. Um, cultural fantasy has armored me in my healing. Um, through giving me that vessel to kind of learn myself, it just gave me just that energy of self-worth and capacity and seeing, wow, I could really start something and finish it. Something that is profound, something that people can enjoy something that I can enjoy. It has helped me sustain my peace of mind. Um, Like I said earlier, when you are somebody and your will to live might not be that much and you give yourself something where it's like, well, to do this, I have to live. (laughs) To do this and complete this, I have to to live, I have to sustain, and I have to do what I got to do because I want to make this. Um, It stimulated my relationship with myself, my ancestors, in the world around me. My goals going forward for myself and my audiences using cultural fantasy as a tool are overall decolonization, which I know cannot just fall on my shoulders. I know I can't save the world. However, I know that I can impact it. I can impact the triumph of um, of decolonization, of fighting colonialism a whole lot. I already have even with most of my writing that I'm going to do in my life, not complete. I already have put in that work and seen the effects of what I'm doing, not just with everybody else, but within myself. 
um, spiritual healing across the black African and indigenous diasporas. We have a lot of work to do. We have a lot of things to heal from um, spiritually, physically. We got to learn ourselves. We got to see ourselves. These babies got to come up and we got to help them break these generational curses, etc., etc. Um, and my primary tool of that is my writing because I can essentially communicate everything that I would communicate in person or on the street or whatever. I could do so much of that and put it into my stories. Um, representation for the otherwise un or misrepresented in media. So my you know primary focus is black and indigenous diaspora, queer diaspora, the queer spectrum, giving us visuals and experiences within these books that are like, wow, this is something I can claim. This is something that was intentionally made to help me, to make me feel good about myself. Encouragement and stimulation of ancestral and cultural alignment. So my hope is that people see my stories and they say, wow, look at all of this. And when they go to look at the character designs and see the descriptions that I have, that they start to be encouraged to say, wow, like, okay, who's this? Who is this person encouraged? I mean, who is this person inspired by? Let me go look into that. Let me go see if that person has something to do with me too. Let me see where ancestors align. And you know, it. all you got to do is just start. And you'll get through your journey too. So a sense of pride and self-love for myself and my readers. As the further I progress in my series, the more I grow personally, the more I grow spiritually, the more I grow in my capacities and my faith. Etc. Etc. So I want people as my series progresses, as they read it, and I want them to be able to go through their journeys and use my books as a reference or just a simple piece of um, positive stimulation. You know, you're going through something, you can go read my books and just feel better. It, it come down to that being that simple. Um, aiding in vanquishing, aiding in the vanquishing of demonic energy. There's a lot of demonic energy going on, but when you feel good about yourself, you feel good about what you're consuming, you are consuming high vibrational content, you can be filled with that capacity. And as I was saying a few seconds ago, more simply, um, to just continue to indulge in an enjoyable and high vibrational experience for myself and my readers, and to use writing as a vessel to... Not just sustain and make me money, but to really walk in my purpose. To use writing as something that propels me to all of the other things I'm meant to do. And um, I thank y'all for being here. And I thank everybody who will in the future read my books and enjoy them. And stay on the lookout because by the either by the end of the summer or... At the latest, by fall, um, I will have my second project out. Well, it might be my third because I have something else going on. But as far as the series, it'll be the second installment of the series. And I hope y'all enjoy it. And um, now we're at the end. And so if you can follow me on Instagram for more updates at jareddegrew777. J-A-R-R-A-D-D-E-G-R-U-Y-777. 
Follow me on my podcast on Anchor and Spotify at the Holy Bayou 777. Um, you can email me with further questions or inquiries at jaredk98 at gmail.com. Um, and all support <laughs> is accepted. So I'll put my cash out because I always need help um, from whoever's willing to give it. And yeah, that's the, that's the presentation. Thank y'all. So y'all have questions? Am I muted? Oh no, y'all can hear me. Hello? Yes? Y'all have any questions? Um, I do about character development. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I have this idea that I've been mulling around in my head for the longest time. And just sitting here today listening to you, like, I feel like this was a kick in the butt to, like, get up and do it. Like, you know, so... I have the main character, right? Mm-hmm. He's just dominant in my head all the time. But how, like, how I know where I want it to go, but how do I give her supporting characters? You look around. So, like, what you have to figure out from what place was the character that you're talking about? Where was she manifested from? Like, okay. what what, what went into making her? And I'm sure, because I know it, that's how it is with me, a lot of my characters are ma- manifestations of different aspects of myself. So mm-hmm. you look around your own self and you look at people around you and you can you can start to formulate supporting characters based on your relationships with other people. Not to say you should like just take people and be like, I'm about to make you a character and just put your life on blast in my book. <laughs> but hey, right. um Yeah, um we can you know, if you if you know, you can always call me and talk. That's something else too with this with my intentions. I want to get into actual writing consultation. Um like as a kind of like a career thing, but not career wise in the sense of where I get stuck in just that's all I'm doing. But I just want to be able to help people and I don't want to have to have it revolve around capitalism. You know, like I want to I want to just help what I can. So you already know, Lulu, you could call me and, you know, we could talk about it more. Okay. Um, but yeah, it, that's that's what a brainstorming comes in. Though. What you asking me? As far as how to come up with diff- with supporting characters, that's where you brainstorm. You start to figure out what exactly your character is doing. Because if you start to figure out what your character is actually doing and where they're going, then you'll start to be able to implant, okay, how can I work people in this? Because just right. making a character and then trying to come up with characters around them is kind of difficult. Um, because you'll, you'll find that through through the work of brainstorming, you'll have characters that you make that are supposed to just be kind of regular supporting, 
and then they'll come to light. Like, you'll start to see them like, oh, you're not supposed to just be on the sidelines. You're supposed to have your own point of view, too. You're supposed to have right. your own background and flashbacks and all of that. It's, it's very yeah. So get yeah, into it. What she's going to be doing, and I know her intentions and everything. Mm-hmm. So basically what I hear you saying is, like, from people around me, it can be like the essence of that person. Mm-hmm. Okay, got it. Got it. And like nuances of them, you know, certain things that they do, certain memories y'all have, you can reference. Right. Okay, I, I understand that. Happy to help. Anything else? Any other questions? Okay. Well, thank y'all so much for coming. I'm going to end it now. And I hope y'all enjoyed it. And yeah. (laughs) Okay. Bye. And once again, thank y'all so much. You're welcome. Thank you. All right.